Industry Under Pressure, innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right, folks, we are back, uh, except something is a little bit different this time. Now, um, uh, well, perhaps, perhaps something is a little bit different. If you are, if you're listening to this uh, in your usual, whatever you, your usual manner of listening to podcasts, uh, then it might be that nothing's different. But, uh, but, but if you look in the show notes for this episode, now, this is assuming that we remember to put the, put the link, there should be a link in the show notes uh, to a YouTube video. That's a YouTube that's on our uh, on our OGGN uh, YouTube channel. Uh, there's a, there's now a playlist there for the Oil and Gas Tech Show. Uh, which, by the way, welcome to the Oil and Gas Tech Podcast, right here on the Oil and Gas Global Network, which is the largest and um, what is it? How does it go? The largest and most <laughs> and most listened to network of podcasts for the oil and energy industry and uh, today's episode today's exciting innovative episode i am happy to say is made possible by uh, a brand new sponsor a brand new sponsor that we have and uh, and the sponsor is so the name of the company is hexagon hexagon is a is a big is a big company and i'm really uh, to be honest i'm just learning about them uh, now but there's a particular division uh, i mean I'm learning more about them. I'm learning more about Hexagon. And in particular, there's a division called the PPM division. And so you're going to be hearing more about these folks uh, as we go on because we've got a new new partnership with them. We're doing a lot of things together. I think we're going to get some of their folks onto the show and uh, or maybe some of our other shows. And uh, But but Hexagon's PPM division um, is it has a number of different offerings, uh, which, which are... Uh, you know, relevant to uh, industrial settings, oil and gas obviously is an industrial setting, and in particular, I think we're going to be talking a lot about uh, about asset management, and um, and you know, which is a big which is a big deal, obviously, in this industry. Hexagon is doing some interesting things with regard to asset management, uh, all under the under the the banner of digital transformation, uh, where where all the action is happening. So, uh, like I said, I'm still learning a little bit, but uh, but but. Next time you hear about next time you hear about Hexagon, I'm going to know even more, and I'm going to be able to tell you some of the cool stuff that they're doing. However, I did want to make sure that I that I make this introduction and say uh, they are now a, a great friend of OGGN, and we're looking forward to doing more stuff with them. Now, back to the program. Um, uh, so if you so if you've discovered the YouTube link, and um, and and now you're actually watching me instead of listening to me, um, you you've probably noticed that um, it's not really that much. It's not really that much better. It's really it's really 
<laughs> this part of the show is not really uh, an improvement, except you get to see me wave my arms around and things like this. Now you know why whenever I'm on a Zoom call, Zoom always thinks I'm ra- raising my hand, even when I'm speaking, which is very confusing to the people uh, on the other side of the camera. So, um, uh, but because we are, uh, we're doing some video episodes of the tech show now, I mean, it's still going to be, the audio is still out there and you can listen to it. It's a traditional podcast. You can listen to it on all of your usual uh, you know, Apple or Spotify or Podcast Addict. Some of you are listening to Podcast Addict. I've noticed in our in our statistics, which is kind of cool. Um, you're still going to be able to do that. But if you're if you're sitting there, you're eating your sandwich for lunch, and you're thinking, "Hey, it'd be nice to watch the tech show this time instead of just listen to it," then uh, I'm going to start putting them on the YouTube channel. And one of the things that's made this kind of uh, not only possible, but fun is we have a new studio that uh, that uh, that I can't really say. I say we have a new studio, OGGM, but really uh, it's been made possible by our friends over at Arc Specialties. And of course, you've, you've heard uh, you've heard Dan uh, Alford on this show. You've, if you watched Unscripted, don't forget to watch Unscripted. Uh, Dan was on was on Unscripted one time, and in fact, on the last episode, right before this one. And I and I didn't do one of these little openers because we were in a hurry. We had to put it together. So, um, so, so if you were just listening to the last episode, you might not have caught on to the fact that it was actually there is a video version of that. And you can go to the go to the episode, find the or the the link to the YouTube, um, or you just look at, at OGGN's YouTube channel. There's a playlist, like I said. Um, so, so last week uh, you could see uh, you, Dan and I did the inaugural episode of the new studio. We had champagne and and. Uh, a little bit of fun. There's still some still, still some things that weren't quite settled. Uh, I may have knocked over a microphone or two, but uh, it was a fun episode, and uh, and it's a great new studio, and uh, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be back there again as often as we can. So today's episode was also done in the new studio, except. Um, Except we kept Dan out this time, and uh, I mean he can only he can only cr- crash the show so many times just because you know it's at his house doesn't mean he gets to be on the show all the time. So this time uh, we had a great conversation with uh, also kind of a new friend. Uh, you might remember um, that uh, a few months ago I did a, an episode with a guy named Dan Nagala who started a company called UTSI International, and Dan was a really interesting. He was a great guest uh, besides being really. Uh, experienced and smart on all of this cybersecurity stuff. Uh, he's just a very interesting person. So through Dan, I have met uh, uh, one of his uh, one of the guys on his team there at UTSI, and so we got him into the studio and and we had a great conversation. I know you're going to love it. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm OGG and welcome to Sean Six. And we are back at the uh, almost brand new. It's not. It's not. It's not brand new now, but uh, but it still has that new podcast studio smell. Definitely. And uh, this is the new uh, hat studio, as you can see from the. Uh, I don't know if that'll make it into the shot or not, but uh, this studio uh, we learned about last time on uh, the last episode for the show. We did uh, Dan Alford and I did the inaugural episode. Uh, the tech crew would not let us break the champagne over the robot, so we were forced to drink it. Uh, and and so this is going to be this is the, this is the second uh, the second episode in the studio. And I have here. 
Sean Six, which by the way, I haven't said this uh, yet, but that's a really cool name. Like, is that, <laughs> is that, is that your real name or did it you is. pick that? Cause it sounds like it came out of Speed Racer or something nope, like that. It's, yeah. it's legit. Yeah? yeah. It's really Sean, <laughs> Sean Six, uh, with a company called UTSI, uh, UT, UTSI International, UTSI, UTSI, UTSI International, which, yeah. uh, some of our faithful listeners probably heard, uh, Dan Nagala on the show. I think he was on the show, uh. January or February, something like that. Yeah, I think it was like episode three thirty four or something like yeah. that. Yeah, remembering um, episode. You <laughs> threw me with that. I'm like, I'm only on a hundred and fifty. <laughs> so I don't know I how just it made could that be. Up. Yeah. So, uh, so Dan um, and Dan's the founder of UTSI International. Yeah, thirty seven years. He's been doing it for thirty seven years. Yeah. So interesting connection is. Dan, your Dan, yes. <laughs> is how I met this Dan Alford, who founded Arc Specialties. Apparently, those guys are like kayaking buddies. Or yeah, go something. way back. Yeah, and um, uh, they've known each other for a long time. So your Dan introduced me to this Dan, and uh, he and he was on the show a couple times, and uh, then somehow we ended up with this very nice studio. So this awesome. is, it is nice. This, this is, is where we the yeah. best podcasting studio I've been in. You have ever? Yeah. <laughs> How many have you been in? Two. Two. All right. So this one's so this one's better. It's yeah. better than that. Um, very few have a robot. Uh, you know, bolted to the bolted. Bolt it's the, the only tank. one I've been in with a robot. It's not. Um, it's a small one. I mean, this is a really small one. Although. Uh, I did fall for the trick of trying to move this table and uh, it's not like, you know yeah. how like you walk up to the table and you go, I'm going to move this over a little bit. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's you got to like put your, you got to put your shoulder. That looks pretty into, heavy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's heavy. Dan, on the last episode, Dan, uh, he explained what this thing used to do. I don't remember what he said. I think he said it was a material handler. But if you go into the factory over there, they got things that look like this, only they're like as big as a house. So, uh, so it's fun stuff, but we're not here to talk about that. So, what um, so first a little about you, and I, you and I actually just met today, right? That's right. So, yeah. So sometimes I have a guest on, and like I've already known him for a long time, so I like like I have some dirt on them, and I can make some jokes about things that have happened oh, in the past. Clean slate here, and I don't have anything on you. No dirt so yet. so start from the not, not the very <laughs> beginning, but uh, like who are you, and how did you uh, get here? Yeah, um, Sean Six from uh, UTSI. I uh, started out in oil and gas in 2005 at Devon Energy in Oklahoma City. And I was actually going to school and a friend of mine uh, was a recruiter and he said, would you want to hand files out and I'll help pay for your college. And so... Uh, hand files out. That's what my first job was, was a records, basically a records clerk and slinging files. So like in out. one of those secret rooms where somebody comes in and like you're behind the desk and, yeah. and they go, I need the... Yeah, need a little bit like your file. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, so we had a, so we had some records that were kind of on, right. on, on a tight leash. And then at the time, people don't know this, um, there's a thing called a scout. Have you heard of a scout? Uh, like the Jeep thing? No. Uh, so oil and gas scouts, they would uh, they would maybe bribe you, take you out. They would try to find out where you were drilling, how oh, much, yeah. like what your depth yeah. was, what your plan was. And so uh, Devin was, had been, uh, I guess, uh, attacked by these scouts. And so that was part of the deal was I had to pass a background check and they do a, everything short of a polygraph to make sure you're not you know in debt and trying to sell their records. And uh, they, that wow. was what my job was. So, was, like industrial espionage. Like it was definitely, actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, the early is, days of uh, fracking, this, if you remember. Yeah, well, yeah. right. So it was, what are you doing, where are you doing it, and how are you doing it? Um, uh, yeah. I was, uh, so, in the early days of fracking, I was working with a company. We had, like, some 
some software that is really useful for like subsurface analysis and things like that. And, oh, and, and which was primarily, you know, used, you know, in, in conventional uh, place. And, and so we were trying to figure out like, okay, all this, all this stuff's going on in the Permian, all this stuff's going on in Eagleford. Like, how do we make our software useful to those guys? And so I had, <laughs> I had this meeting. I was, there was two meetings that I remember uh, that were really like helped me understand how this works. Uh, one was I was, uh, I was, it was some small operator or midsize, some small midsize operator out there in the Permian. And I was explaining like, well, if you use our software, you know, you could have all this certainty about what's under the ground and blah, 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 blah. And he goes, um, sounds like a science experiment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, and I could tell that he's not in the habit of paying for science experiments. Right. And then the other one was I asked the guy, so how do you know, so how do you make decisions about like where you're going to drill? And he goes, and, and how you're going to drill. And he goes, well, usually we just look over and see what that guy's doing over there. And then we just do the same thing over here. So I could see how you could get, uh, so if you, if you were, if you were a shady character and you were running around taking people to the bar in Midland, um, yeah, which is called the bar, um, the bar, the bar <laughs> like you could probably get, like you get a few beers in somebody, you could probably get yeah, like you get a pretty fun. not just like uh, not yeah. just like a, top shelf. Yeah, you could get like real <laughs> like real info yeah. that you could really operate with. Yeah, and, and that was happening yeah. at the time. So that was yeah. my first gig. Really, was I had no idea about oil and gas. I asked some really stupid questions, but I was real fortunate that they were um, they were just happy to have somebody uh, make next to nothing and walk seven miles a day. I was going between five <laughs> five different buildings and handing out these records, and I ended up getting into the mergers and acquisition yeah. team. And then in the middle of that, the, the VP came down from Houston and asked if I'd be on the rotation program. And I actually turned it down and I, I was finishing up my grad school. The rotation program being? Well, you go through each team and you rotate. So right. some teams are three days, some teams might be three weeks. Yeah. And you go through and you just learn everything. You learn what data they collect, what data, who uses it, how right. they use it, um, how it's aggregated. And that was my first step into SCADA and, and the OT side of the house as well. Right, right. Um, but looking at exploration, and we had midstream at the time. So I got to see everything in between and operations and then everything from exploration to plug and abandon. So, you know, what records? And then there's a regulatory component on top of that. Yeah. So it was a deep learning. I, I tell people I have a, a really a wide view of it and I've, I've touched a, a little bit of everything in oil and gas but I don't have the depth as some people right. have I've kind of played around in different fields there yeah. uh, since 2005 that makes you a consultant that makes me a consultant yeah that's yeah. good that's good yeah. well but really it's valuable um, in this industry that's very valuable because um, so something else that we do OGGN uh, Mark LaCour and I we also have this other business uh, modal point where we help uh, people who are trying to bring products and services into the industry, um, you know, maybe they maybe they're already active in other industries and they're trying to add this vertical, or or maybe they're already in this industry but they're trying to approach a different part of it or whatever. And so mm-hmm. we kind of help them with go to market and like how do you understand the industry and bring the right because me- a lot of times people have things that are valuable, but they just don't. The problem is if you don't understand the industry and you don't ha- and and a lot of times people can understand like this one part yeah. and they think that that whole part. I mean, that one part is kind of like the whole thing and it's not even a, it's just a small slice. And so having that broad exposure is um, actually really valuable. It's it's been a blessing to be honest because um, I think there's a curse of specialization. 
And there, there's the benefit of specialization, which is you get the uh, you know, exponential growth right. from it, and then you get the economies of scale. But people don't learn what's happening. I can't tell you how many times. So I got into my first innovation pro project right. uh, because of this rotation program, because of some ideas we came up with. And they, you know, they thought, well, that's interesting. Let's try this again. And so we kept coming up with new ideas. And every right, time right. we'd go to a team, we'd come up with, they're using this. Why don't you use it? And yeah, yeah the tools used differently with this kind of uh, use case, but it could be broadened for, for you as well. And then sharing the data. A lot of times the data doesn't actually pass along or it doesn't pass to the right people. And so, or you cut off a data feed. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that where somebody makes a decision and it stops the data feed to someone else. And then now the decisions they're making are, are misinformed. Right. And uh, it's just an interesting perspective yeah. there for sure. Stitching all the parts together. So when, when the industry started becoming really serious about um, what we now refer to as digital transformation. Right. I know a lot of people, like like Dan, for example, Dan Agala will say, well, that's just the new word for the same thing we've been doing the whole time. Right. But but there is, it, but it's, it's unquestionable that right around 2017, after the 2014, 15, that little debacle that happened there, and, yeah. and yeah. we, we uh, for 2015, we call that the year of drinking lunches because there was, really nothing to do the industry was completely dead and um and 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 so you know most of the most of the operators did a great job of like using what i would call all the traditional mechanical means of belt tightening and streamlining you know you gotta lay some people off you, you do all the cost cutting right so then they got to where like okay now we can break even at least at 50 dollars a barrel or something like that but of course investors weren't happy with that right and it's yeah. not the and so so then they said okay well what else can we do and somewhere around 2017 it was like well we better look at this digital transformation stuff right and people started getting serious about it at that time um and i forget why why did i go into this whole thing i don't even remember what was the point i was making I'm, I don't know, but you reminded me. What was the last me, thing you said? <laughs> um, I can't remember either. But uh, you reminded me of something that happened around that time. So I left, uh, so I ended up going to BHP, and at BHP I got, by kind of somewhat accident, got into an innovation group, and then ended up becoming a, a business oh, analyst project um, manager. I knew somebody who was involved in that over there. Anyway, I can't remember her name, so it doesn't matter. Oh, okay. Keep going. Um, so, so that led to us creating really cool things and yeah. doing a lot of fun stuff, and that led to me going to Accenture right around 2015 2016 oh yeah and then that's a rough time to be it was a rough time to come in new and uh we we were joking we had a term um <laughs> so all the all the people being home and not being on, deployed on projects yeah uh we had uh, we called them bench babies bench. <laughs> everybody that was on the bench started having babies but um uh, we actually wrote yeah. a white paper at the time and i think it was called the rise of insourcing yeah and what happened at that time uh we thought or a lot of a lot of people were betting on what every time this happens you find new ways to save money and innovation is the way to go right and the opposite happened they actually cut their innovation projects they, they cut their innovation um, budget and they cut their partners and they started insourcing and bringing people and then I remember for the first time because uh, at BHP we were really concerned around windshield time and windshield time is yeah. directly correlated to risk and so you want to reduce that as much as possible, but you also want to make smarter decisions. So when you put somebody behind a, a wheel, they're doing something that drives right, value. Right. And uh, they, we saw the decrease. We saw the flip of that. I thought that would be the trend, but the uh, 
traditional operators, they actually started hiring more people because they were like, I can hire somebody in the field for 15 bucks an hour to jump in a truck and go drive and find out what's going on. So they cut the, the telemetry projects, they cut their mesh network projects, right. and they started just sending people back like you know we did 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So that so that's a so that comes around to the thing that yeah that was kind of on my mind, which is, um, um, there. So there's all this. Uh, there's been all this focus. It's in the limelight for the last, I guess it's five years, 2017, digital transformation. We're seeing all of these, you know, and, and we got, and we went through the, through the stages, right? We went from the, from the, the stage of what is it and is it real? And is it just a bunch of buzzwords, right? Uh, yeah. You know, the, um, Deloitte's paper, bits and barrel, bites and bites and barrels, bits and what, bites and barrels. I think that was that was kind of a you know something that people were holding up a lot as kind of an example. So we went through this cycle of like, is this real? Should we do it too? Yeah, there's some great things here, and now we're and and I mean you know you, there's there's so many places to look and so many people talking about all the great uh, initiatives and the innovations and what we're doing with data here and what we're doing with with uh, you know connectivity over there and connected worker and and we we're bringing drones in and like all and robots um mm -hmm. but in the actual like in your and you guys at utsi and i think your background is focuses on that ot environment where what i like to say where all the action is um there's been a lot of effort aimed at modernizing those areas and doing all these fancy new things that we talk about like how's it how's it going are we is it like if you go out there today um is it does it look like a like a whole new world or is it still like people driving around doing things the old way because it's really cheaper and easier and we we'll just do it like this? It's a blend, but shockingly, um, the stuff we were working on ten years ago, yeah, uh, and the innovation we brought in a, a bunch of things like uh, FLIR cameras to do uh, leak detection or loss of containment alerts, right? Which right. was a really uh, novel idea. We actually had to, a few of the things that we worked on. We had to go get approval through TCEQ or the EPA to say this is this is what you say we need to do with visual inspection on a flare for example we can do that through cameras is that okay and they will neither confirm nor deny that it would never really give us the the vote yeah. of confidence but um, once enough people started doing it but they wait you make you wait like a year to find out that they don't have a dis exact decision right oh like, yeah they wait forever yeah, so and you're and yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're making hay the whole time so right. you just keep moving but um, some of that stuff uh, recently um, I was at a, uh, the API conference and there's a lot of great work being done in that space and there are moves in that direction but um, it's not not where I thought it would be you know no. for, for being a decade later I thought we'd be uh, I thought the adoption would be there and I thought that the technology would be it is readily available but it's not readily adopted and that's the part that's been so for example like yeah. what without 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 naming names the uh, what, like like what was an example of something that you thought like we'd be past this by now yeah, I think um, using the use of drones for um, right-of-way inspection and for leak detection. Yeah. Uh, so like a, the LDAR program, leak detection recognition, um, the adoption of some kind of, you know, maybe we actually talked about at the time, drones weren't allowed. You had to have, uh, it couldn't be unmanned and, and you couldn't right. be paying somebody for it. So we actually looked at uh, aerostats, which is basically a, a blimp with a tether. And you can go pretty high, you can go up to 10,000 feet, and uh, you just have to, I guess, call the, the FAA. 
Um, yeah, because there's other things at 10,000 feet. Sometimes. Right, you can't go above that. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah. you could you could launch it. Um, and so we, we were talking about doing that at the time. And of course, that was when uh, the, the the bubble got burst on that one. Right. But, um, so we cut those programs. But uh, I thought, well, once the money comes back in, people are going to pick this back up because it's right, just the value right. proposition is so high of you know reducing that windshield time, increasing. So that's another one. These planes that you fly, this is the one that uh, kind of shocked me. Um, it's around 10 grand, at least it was at the time. I don't know what the price is now, but it was 10 grand a day to have a, a right-of-way inspection. Uh, you a certified pilot, jump in, a, in an aircraft, right. fly your right-of-way while looking, take notes of if there's encroachment, if there's obvious loss of containment, um, basically the right-of-way inspection. And then they get back down and they send you that information and it may be a few days, a few weeks. Um, if you really want to spend a little bit more money, you can get a LIDAR attached to it and the LIDAR costs more than the plane sometimes. Um, and this is what we were looking at. at well, the, now you got LIDAR on the iPhone, so that probably will simplify Yeah, you just take your iPhone out <laughs> simplify and then that geotag process. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually probably right in line yeah. with where we are. Yeah, so, uh, yeah they're, they're, they're spending money on the aircraft and now they're adding all this stuff to that instead of flying drones um so i think the the technology is there i think the appetite is still not there or the the adoption isn't there yet yeah i got you yeah so um um what about in areas uh all this uh all this like like the SCADA like the automation and the, so one of the things that happened a couple of years ago was uh as part of this whole digital transformation wave is um people so these OT systems, SCADA systems, the ICS stuff has been sitting out there. There's been computers out there for a long time doing things, right? It wasn't like, like we didn't right. start putting computers out there in 2017, yeah, right? Yeah. And, um, um, but, but historically always like the data that they produced was produced for the purpose of whatever the function was that it supported, right? Turn this thing on, turn that thing off, right? Whatever, control something. Um, and then, and then in the digital transformation wave, people said, you know, if we could get our hands on that data, on all of it, we could do cool stuff with it, right? We could do, we can do analytics and we could do use AI machine learning and, and then we could, that would enable us to predict all this stuff and, you know, predict failures and, you know, all the, all the things that we want to do with that data. Right. And, uh, so the IT guys come like running out there to, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm this is a dramatization, right? right sure. But, you know, come out there like with their little wires that they want to hook up to everything. And the OT guys are like, Whoa, hold on, hold on. Yeah. So, um, and then I think we kind of work through some of that and we saw a lot of that integration coming um and then we saw some of the the dangers of that like the reasons why people didn't want to do that in the first place but um but it was all with the promise because now you got stuff that's connected to networks and networks are connected to the internet and right and all of that problem right um uh, but the promise was there was all this business value in the promise of why we want to work through all those challenges so are you guys seeing like is that are, are we in spite of all the difficulties are we seeing the business value come through from all of those efforts sometimes when it's done right and yeah. i think that's the the problem is because everyone has their domain expertise and right so they're signing off on uh the one piece of the value proposition uh, but maybe not the whole picture and i i am seeing more Yesterday, for example, I was uh, at a control room meeting here in Houston, and one of the one of the um, operators showed a project they're working on, and they're bringing telemetry in from the vehicles, 
And this is something that you know we did, and we um, we put this together at Accenture. We we had an, an app that we were trying to push as a software as a service, but no one was willing to share all this data up to to a yeah. third party. So they're they're doing it on premise now. Um, but but it is an idea that's been around that you didn't see anybody doing, but it just makes so much sense. So you've you've got uh, data in maybe an ERP system somewhere, and then you've got your real time data, and then you might have some oil and gas. Um, metrics that's sampled once a month and that's sitting in another system and so bringing all that together is really difficult uh, and those data those systems don't all talk so you have to be really uh, you have to understand the whole process and then you also have to be able to propagate that data up somewhere where you're yeah, not yeah, yeah. you're not going to add risk to the operations but you can also drive decisions to the operations so what you're describing is all the things that we you know that that people who are close to the problem know that okay this is why that's not so easy. Right. Um, but, but we've been working on it for a while and, um, and people, there's been a lot of money spent, a lot of initiatives and, 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 you know, the Accentures and the, everybody else has been working. Um, but so, but you said when it's done correctly, you get the business value. So every, right. Are we struggling with that still? Is it? Are we struggling with the doing it correctly? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I think there's a uh, and, and there's a reason for it, but but IT folks generally are uh, risk adverse, and no one wants to be the guy that added um, a component or a tool that w- was the reason right. why their pipeline went offline or their well, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. got hacked. So um, so there's a bit of that. People are risk adverse, but I think. Uh, it takes the business side to push back and say we accept the risk and right. I've been fortunate to work with people that say that yeah. and again some of those folks are also they don't want to be the one that's, that, that, that hacks on their watch either so. well this this industry I mean that's always been a challenge in the industry is um, uh, we're risk averse for good reasons because there's huge amounts of capital at stake and there's people's lives and safety at stake. Right. And, and, you know, um, sometimes people don't always appreciate that. Uh, it's kind of my, my soapbox in the show for the last year and a half is, is um, you know, no, we're not old fashioned and slow to adopt new ideas and innovate. It, it's a whole, this is a whole different ball game over here, right? It is, yeah. And, um, and it's hard to appreciate that if you're not in the middle of it. But, um, um, so it, it's it's true that uh, it, well, and as a result, that's created a culture where, um, and you know this if you've ever tried, if you've ever been like on the vendor side and you've tried to sell anything into uh, to oil and gas companies, there's never one person who makes the decision, right? It's always yeah, it's always kind of a not so much by committee, but sort of by like everybody Consensus. has to be bought in yeah. because nobody wants to be that person that every once in a while you catch that one like 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 wild person who just wants to leave their mark on the world and, right. and it's just they just say damn the torpedoes we're going to do this and everyone has to be believing in that person for that guy to actually that to work to otherwise actually. otherwise they're gone so otherwise they're yeah right, they're not going to stick around yeah. so um um so that that's a yeah and i think that continues um to be a challenge but there are these complexities that um that you don't really appreciate if you're not like, like we, so so earlier we were talking and you mentioned um 
this whole thing with critical infrastructure, right? So, right. so this is a good example of why we can't just come in here willy-nilly and start doing stuff, yeah, right? This is true. And I, I didn't tell you that um, I took a few years off and I went to the finance world oh. and I was a, a PMO portfolio manager, project management office portfolio manager, and we would do risk assessments. And this is after coming off innovation projects and oh, yeah, yeah. risk assessments for yeah. you know, you yeah. know drone <laughs> for leak detection. It's like, it's like the other side of the one-way window yeah. mirror, so right? I always yeah, tell yeah. people, I, it was good. I learned a lot and I met a lot of great people, um, but I was really bored at the end of the day. The coolest thing we did, we worked on some blockchain stuff, which was kind of cool. But um, at the end of the day, the risk assessment for oil and gas and for critical infrastructure in general is is real. I mean, it's real. You don't want to lose money, but at the end of the day, you're losing a lot of money or using your ability to, to sell or trade. Right. But on this side, someone could lose their life or you could have multiple fatalities. That's the risk assessment. You start with, could we kill multiple people? Could we kill a person? Right. Do we have a loss containment and environmental disaster? Or right, 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 right. So right. You're, you're at level four before you get to money. Yeah, you're not even yeah. worried about money yet. Right. And so the risk right. is everything up until that point is completely off the table. Right. You're not even. Yes. And so whenever you're saying, I'm going to put something in that's going to make your business better, you have to go through that profile here. And that's something that I can appreciate and respect because yeah. Yeah. it's a different perspective for sure. But um, critical infrastructure is is not a subjective term. And so that's something that. Yeah. Good. That's, yeah. That, that little sentence says a whole lot. Right. I right. know exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. So you go to, to CISA.gov and you can look up the 16 uh, right. areas of critical infrastructure. And we're oil and gas is in one of them. Energy is in one of them. Uh, nuclear right. is in one of them. Water is in one of them. And I think uh, what we don't appreciate, and the thing, my biggest concern, and one of the reasons why I got back into this is going through this. Um, the United States is not doing a great job when it comes to managing our critical infrastructure. Yeah, we we might have noticed that a couple times. A yeah. few times. Yeah, and, and I think a, a good example is. I had some meetings set up uh, with an energy producer here in Houston. Yeah. And they, uh, the freeze happened, so they canceled the meeting, of course. And the CEO has to go to ERCOT for the hearings. Sure. And he, uh, he's talking, and I listen in. You know, I'm really tied to this. I want to be able to talk to him about what he says. And he said... Um, he had a oh, yeah, because it was public, right? Like you could, it was public, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could listen to the streaming. Yeah, yeah, that's so right. So I'm up, and this went till 11, I think, at night. They finally adjourned. Right. So I'm up at you know, 10.30 listening to him give his testimony. He talks about a death loop. And the death loop, and this is something, uh, again, that we just don't appreciate. Oil and gas has a dependency on some of these items, and these, these other uh, critical infrastructure areas have a dependency on, on us. Yeah. And... So here's the example. Uh, they had their, their gas provider had their gas freeze, so they couldn't provide gas to the facility. So the turbines go onto emergency reserves. They go from uh, you know whatever they're at, like 80, 90 percent um, production, down to 30 percent. That's as much as they can do. But that production, that electric production, uh, actually is not enough for these pumps that have been put in 1955. These pumps go in in 1955. They're right. still in operation to this day. They still work. The SCADA system that runs these still work, and they were put in not much later. And wow. so kills wow. the pumps. The pumps kill the water to cool the turbines. So yeah. the turbines can either burn up or go to zero. So they go to zero. So we have an outage. So that's something that we're all, we're all stakeholders in. We're all stakeholders in critical infrastructure. And that's just one example of energy to to them, so gas supply to the power yeah. producer, power producer to the water, and water to back to the, so that raw water, by the way, those pumps send water to the gas, to the, the energy producer, but also send water to my general area where I live. Yeah, yeah. So that's our that's our water for, for water. our potable yeah. water, yeah. Um, 
yeah wow that yeah there's there's a uh, we could do, you know, we could do a whole episode on um, on on keeping grids up, but um, uh, or a whole series. Probably just sustainability, but yeah. I think the general idea is that I would love to get the message out that we all need to be serious about critical infrastructure, and yeah, we really need to look at how we can increase uh, the security of it. And that's, I mean, talk about a vector for, so th- that was just us messing up. That wasn't a bad actor. Now insert a bad yeah, actor. Right, exactly. Yeah, that was self-inflicted. Um, <laughs> that was self-inflicted. Sort of self-inflicted. Right, right. So, all right, but you mentioned oil and gas is part of the, the officially designated critical infrastructure. Um, and uh, so we have sort of two con- uh, uh, converging or conflicting objectives here one is we want to uh make you know we want to do a better job with our critical infrastructure you know of which all our oil and gas operations are part of that right particularly when you talk about like pipelines and i mean like like we have a little that's a whole other thing right is like we have somebody uh, a, a friend of mine a professional friend that i worked with in another company texted me the other day and he said after after a, a certain uh, a, a particular government leader made a particular comment about refineries need to produce more, and uh, and and he he texted me and he goes aren't aren't the refineries already at one hundred percent? And I said well you know they're not at one hundred percent but they're certainly at like I think like ninety four percent. But we have a little transportation problem, right? <laughs> like, right yeah. like we have a transportation problem because you can't get stuff where you know uh, between like like projects being shut down and the Jones Act not allowing things to go in different ports and stuff. Yeah. So, um, so the so the point is, so I, that that's a whole other episode. But right, right. Um, we want to do a better job of being part of the critical infrastructure. Um, but we also are trying to do we're trying to uh, modernize all this stuff for all these new fangled advantages that we want to have and which which automatically like by definition means like you're disrupting things um right. so like you're introducing new variables you're introducing new risks you're introducing right, right. so um so when you guys so i'm just curious when 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 you guys at utsi international are uh sure. when you when you're out there working with um uh, with clients on these kinds of problems, like how do you like how do you tackle th- those those sort of like uh, conflicting forces and, yeah. and try to move forward and get something done that, that's going to have value and like be safe and secure and not destroy things? Right. Yeah, I think uh, it is important. Well, we we've got the you know, thirty-seven years and and the team themselves just trust us. They, well, just trust us. They 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 care <laughs> and they build long-term relationships. Yeah, and we yeah. have people calling us. We our first client is still an existing client thirty-seven years later. So that's because you get to know them. We're both still in business. That's, We're both still in business, yeah, and we both look out something. for each other. Yeah. And. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you care. Well, we care about the infrastructure. We, we're recipients of it, but uh, we understand it as well. And we understand there's a reason why we have these uh, architecture uh, constraints. And IIoT has definitely punched holes into those constraints. Right. But, uh, but that's to get the business value of, hey, this new technology, I can pull it up to the cloud and I can give you this you know, genius AI ML that you didn't get before. So there is some truth to that. But 
you don't want to introduce a new vector for somebody to be able to come in. Yeah. And so we understand both sides. We understand the promise of technology, and we're all technology geeks as well, so we, we like pushing the boundaries. But we also understand that you need the integrity there. And so there are tools, and I think a lot of the reason why we, we see what we see in critical infrastructure is the sunk cost. And yeah, uh, I'm sure you've yeah. heard the term Modbus or the... Right, the yeah, yeah. So, 70% of the world's infrastructure is running on Modbus, a version of some Modbus. Right, right, so explain that for maybe people who aren't as old as me. So it, it was uh, an open protocol, um, and I believe it was created in the 80s. Yeah. And I, essentially, back in the day, we... we you know, we weren't thinking, hey, that this is uh, this is going to be something that uh, I, I, IoT was not a, a term. So the idea of like having a sensor that could speak to the internet, right? That was so. There was no real. There's no encryption. Um, it's just open. And the idea is you want you want a lot of speed and you want good data quality. So we want it just highly available and as all right. raw unfiltered data. Because the idea is the whole thing is air-gapped from everything else, right? Right, so, so there's, there's no one else going to see it. Right. Yeah. So it's only being seen by the people you want to see it, theoretically, because right. it's architected so that a control room operator is looking at the data. They can see green, amber, red, you know, this needs to be responded to, this is at risk, and everything's good. Um, and, and that was kind of, that worked for a long time. And the, the reality is, it still works and it's still in operation. And the companies that we're talking to on the water side, they're all using it yeah, too yeah. because it works and because of that reason. But we've introduced this new risk. And the new risk is that we've got all these other things that are talking and you can't detect, it's not encrypted, and you can't detect if somebody's hacked in. And this has happened, um, uh, I'm trying to think if I'm allowed to talk about, well, I had a conversation with the FBI a few years ago at a, when I was at an operator and we had been hacked and it turned, she called it uh, sneakerware. Mm, and she yeah. said, "Well, someone just walked up and clipped in, and they were telling they were sending you green lights yep. while they were sniffing your data, and they were shutting down things and causing some some incidents. And luckily, nothing was too bad, but but it did happen. Yeah. And uh, and that's happened to other people. We weren't the only ones. Uh, so that's why the FBI was looking at it because they were saying, hey, this is happening. Right. But um, at the end of the day, that's still a risk for anybody that's running on this. And yeah. there are tools out there now. There are off the shelf stuff that you can do that will give you that data, but it will be encrypted." And so they're they're instead of rooting everything because that's the sunk cost is you've got so much out there. Well, that's the and you know I think uh, when Dan and I talked about this, we talked it was I think or maybe it was maybe it was something else. Um, well, it also this also came up. I, I moderated a panel at the the Rockwell Automation Fair last year in Houston, oh, nice. and this came up as well. This same subject of um, how do you. How, how do you these systems that have been out there for 30 40 years um presumably stuff has to be replaced someday right. <laughs> um yeah. but how how do you do it because there's already so much invested it's already like like it, it's the whole like you know changing the wheels on the moving car and all that right problem. um so it, it's uh so, so do you like it is do you work toward that or do you just say, look, it's sitting there, it's working. These pumps have been here since 1959. They still work. And do you, do you modernize by like bringing in these new tools to supplement or are you ultimately looking to like, eventually we got to change this stuff out and, and do something else? No, I think the, the reality is it works and it's, it's still, uh, it's there for a reason. Um, because it's still working and, and right. it's, you know, uptime's uptime and, and you want right, to keep yeah, it yeah. as up as much as possible. So it's too expensive to go in and root everything. But you can put things, um, little exchanges in, in the process that will help with giving you the ability to encrypt it. 
um, passing that data through so that only somebody that's allowed can right. can decrypt it and see the alerts see the, and see everything else that's going on. But what we're we're actually working on a uh, proposal for uh, a request from the DoD right now because they're all running on Modbus as well. Also, one of the twelve or sixteen critical infrastructure segments. Um, the DoD, yeah, the I, DoD, I, would get, I would think so. You'd think yeah. so. So their their infrastructure is is on Modbus. Their um, their tripwire defenses for forward operating bases is on Modbus. Nice. So the same tools that we're working with to help them get the encryption, pass the data up, and then run analytics in the cloud so you can say, are there bad actors? Is there somebody that's hacked it? Is the signature change? Is the data being injected from a false actor or from a failed system? Because the systems do fail. Um, and you're not going to get that right now with the current state if you don't have something in between yeah, yeah. you and the, yeah. and the actual device. Yeah, got it, got it. So what um, I'm looking at, so you know, part of our studio is, this new, nice new studio is, I have this little timer up there on the wall that prevents yeah. me, it prevents me from allowing us to carry on for too long. Right. So, um, <laughs> in theory. Um, so, uh, for the people out there who are saying, um, look, like, don't say this very loud, but like we're having all those same problems. We're trying to figure this stuff out. Um, you know, apart from like call Sean up tomorrow, which would be great, but, but like what, um, uh, like advice, like what, where do, where do people start with, um, or maybe I think a lot of people are, they're not starting in these initiatives. Maybe they've been working on them and they're having trouble and they're not making progress. Like what's the, like, what do you do? What's the, what's the, what's the, the words of wisdom? Right. Uh, number one is that don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah. And that's, that's our general proposal. We're, we're, we're device agnostic, tool agnostic, and we're, we're agnostic for a reason because we want to go out and find what's already there. What, what can sol solve this problem and serve yeah, the yeah. business case. Um, so there's don't start all, writing code. Don't start writing code. Right. And don't start inventing, you know, a, yeah. a new encryption tool or whatever. There's stuff out there. There's stuff right. you can buy off the shelf. Um, and with a little bit of configuration, a little bit of skills, uh, your SCADA team, your OT, your your network guys and gals can put it in and get it up relatively quick. And, and it's not going to cost an arm and a leg. Right. The other one is, uh, like the group I was with yesterday, um, was uh, the Ignition Oil and Gas Collective. There are groups and they're sharing information and this is what's blown my mind. Back at 10 years ago, um, we got paid by a company whenever I, I created this like killer app that propagates this data up and gives you business decision um, routing in, in yeah, real time. Yeah. So you, you're routing based on value proposition and that was a new idea and it hasn't really been propagated out. A lot of people aren't doing it still. Um, that's catching on, but a company actually paid us to take it off the shelf and not show their competitors. So uh, we had a three-year non-compete. I couldn't show yeah. anybody or talk about it for three years. Right. Um, that's changing, and I think the idea of a collective where you get together, uh, invest in an innovation group, partner with places like the Canon, uh, with right, the Ion, right. uh, look at what's going on in the startup scene, but with the other innovation centers, yeah. and share that information and, and don't recreate, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's funny because uh, another effect of uh, just the, how things have been in the industry for the last few years is, um, and we talk about this a lot, but there's a lot more openness to collaborating and working across companies and domains and things like that, that, you know, it used to be, um, um, 
you know, it used to not be that way. <laughs> so there's a lot more like people in the industry and different company, like I'm not talking about among the, among the, the suppliers of products. I mean, among the operators and among yeah. the service companies, I mean, they're still very protective. You still, you still have to be very protective of your data and your, and, and your proprietary ways of doing things, but there's at least an openness to share ideas and information and work together on, on certain projects. That's been a huge change. And I, I think that's the way to do it is you know if you don't have an innovation team partner with somebody else who does right. look at what they're doing but i was at a, a control room we did a control room tour yesterday back in the day you had to sign a, a disclaimer no yep. photos yesterday i said is it okay to post photos of this and they go yeah please do yeah. so we're looking <laughs> wow. at a real-time control yeah. room yeah. with with cameras up and their their operators out in the field and they were letting us uh, share that information and they were showing it to their competitors yeah the reality there is uh, there's very little that you could i mean you know, I think a lot of I've heard a lot of um, industry leaders who say who have said, look, um, uh, you know, like like Johan Krebers said this when he was starting up the whole OSDU thing was, look, folks, let's face it. 80 percent of everything we have is all the same. It's just the 20 percent that's really yeah. the differentiator. My my favorite story about that. I think I've said this on the show before, but um, it's new to a, me. A, fr- so. a, fr- a friend of mine uh who was a came out of school as a geologist like in the early 70s um, here in Houston and he was working for I don't it was it was Texaco or one of the ones one of the you know uh, that had a big office here in Houston I forget I forget which company but um, so he's a, so he's a brand new out of school geologist right he's getting a nice salary they give him a nice office um, you know because back then you're the talent and and um, and still, and still, and still, they're the talent. Uh, but um, and they and they took him, and it, his office was on like I don't know, like the fifth floor, or the sixth floor, or something like that. And they're showing him his office, and they said the only thing is, and this is back when you used to put maps on the on the desk, right? Yeah, like yeah. the seismic maps and everything. And they said just one thing is, whenever you got maps out on your desk, make sure you close the blinds because there might be somebody with a telescope across the street. <laughs> like trying to look in and see what's on your desk. That's true. Yeah. 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 That was, so that's the, so that's, that's where we've come from. That's kind of full circle back to the Devon right. thing. So yeah. Devon had people actively looking to see where they were drilling, what rigs they were sending out, how much they were, right. what they were fracking with. With a telescope. The propent was still not a, I mean, we th- think it's like a, it's like a science has been around forever, but at the time it was like, what kind of propent are you using? Right. How much are you using? How much and right. So, yeah, yeah. 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 Good. Good stuff. All right. Well, um, Sean, Thank you for uh, coming by. I know uh, I, this isn't really your part of town, right? So uh, no, I try to be out here for the cannon, though. I come oh, out once the, a week. Oh, you yeah. go for the cannon, so right? So it's not just a five-minute drive. Um, um, now Dan, Dan's down in Friendswood, I think, right? Yeah. So uh, our headquarters is in Friendswood. That's where the head. Okay, all right. right. So you're down there as well. I'm down in yeah. Friendswood a few days a week. I'm downtown Houston. I try to be plugged in with the Ion and with the cannon downtown, and then this area here. Well, well if you ever want to come, you know, so. You come by here, go to the ARC Specialties facility over there, find Dan Alford and tell him that you want a tour. And it'll be like, it'll be like worth the 30 minutes just to, to hear his uh, stories when he walks around. And oh, I, I already stories. do. And I want to be part of his Friday uh, yeah, luncheon. Yeah, and his learn. Friday luncheons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd love so, to do that. Cool. All right. Sean Six, UTSI International. Thanks for uh, making time. And that's going to wrap it up for Thanks, today. Thanks, Michael. Yep. Appreciate it. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. 
Learn more at OGDN.com.